This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Thursday, May 6th. Another GameStop hearing happened up on Capitol Hill. U.S. jobless claims are down, and we're focused on the controversial future of menthol cigarettes. The Biden administration last week made a big public health announcement that had nothing to do with the pandemic. It was a proposal to ban menthol cigarettes, those peppermint-flavored smokesticks that are currently used by more than 18 million Americans. It also wants to ban all flavored cigarillos. Now, the idea of banning menthols was first floated in 2017 by Scott Gottlieb, who was President Trump's first FDA chief and the person responsible for banning all of those fruit-flavored vaping pods from companies like Juul. His reasoning was basically the same. Menthols are particularly popular among kids because their sweetness can mask the harsh tobacco flavor. In fact, the FDA reports that almost half of all smokers between 12 and 17 smoke menthols. But Trump sat on the recommendation, and it languished until the new White House's announcement. Now, you might think reaction to Biden's move broke along traditional political lines, or at least libertarian versus liberal lines with some geographic variants thrown in. But it turns out that the politics of banning menthols is much more complicated, namely because around 85% of black smokers prefer menthols versus just 30% of white smokers. That's mostly because of racially targeted marketing by menthols makers, and it's led to concerns about racial equity, including fears that this ban could result in many more black Americans in jail or worse. As some have noted, Eric Gardner was first approached by police for selling single cigarettes without tax stamps, otherwise known as Lucy's. He was then killed in that confrontation. Today, we want to dig deeper into the menthols ban with former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. We'll discuss why he first proposed it, what he thinks about the current plan, and the criticism. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. Scott, you proposed a menthol ban when you led the FDA. Why? Well, at the time, if you remember, we were dealing with a crisis in youth vaping. There was a dramatic surge in the number of kids who were using vaping products. And we were seeking to regulate flavors to try to reduce the appeal of those products to kids. And so the policy that we had proposed at the same time that we had also proposed to ban menthol and cigarettes was that we were going to ban the sale of flavored e-vaping products in convenience stores. But we were going to leave mint and menthol in those stores. And the reason why we proposed to leave the menthol flavored e-cigarettes in the stores was that we didn't want to create a marketplace where an adult smoker, a currently addicted adult smoker, would walk into a store might seek an alternative to um, smoking combustible cigarettes, might seek to switch to an e-cigarette product, but wouldn't see a menthol e-cigarette product, but would see the mentholated cigarette product. And so what we said was we wanted to make sure there was, at the very worst, parity between the e-cigarette products and the combustible cigarettes in a convenience store for that currently addicted adult smoker to make that switch. But we didn't want to leave the marketplace in that status quo in perpetuity. And so at the same time, we proposed to ban menthol in the combustible cigarette products. So it would give us uh, leeway to take the mentholated products, the e-cigarette products off the market as well. 
The Biden administration or the FDA statement that came out the other day talks about banning menthol cigarettes, combustibles, as you say, but not menthol e-cigarette flavors. Are you surprised by that? No, I think that that's the policy step that you might take down the road. I mean, depending on what the patterns of use are among the e-cigarette products. In the summer of 2017, we proposed to regulate nicotine in the combustible cigarettes to render them minimally non-addictive, to take nicotine down to levels that would no longer be able to sustain addiction. I'm not surprised that they don't want to eliminate the market for the e-cigarette products. We do know that some adult smokers are able to switch off of combustible cigarettes onto the vaping products. And we do know the vaping products don't have all the harmful effects of combustion. So if you can get a currently addicted adult smoker to fully switch off a combustible cigarette onto an e-vaping product, they're going to improve their health. And so leaving the menthol in the non-combustible products could hopefully entice more currently addicted adult smokers who are drawn to cigarettes because of the flavors to switch to the ENDS products. Scott, quickly, the, the 2017 ban that you proposed on menthol cigarettes, why didn't that go through? Well, we advanced it. I, you know, there's a long timeline to making sweeping policy, and this is a there's, pretty- There's an alternate, by the way, there's an alternate answer that some in the press have suggested, which is a senator from North Carolina. Is that not an accurate understanding? Look, we faced opposition to the policies. We, the policy that we probably faced the most opposition to was the proposal to ban menthol in cigarettes. But we advanced these policies. We put out an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking on the nicotine standard to try to regulate levels of nicotine in the combustible products. We put out a notice, an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking on the flavors as well, seeking to ban the fruity flavors that were in the cigarellos as well as menthol in the combustible cigarettes. So we were advancing these policies. You know, the, it, it takes a long time to get these policies in place. There's going to be litigation as well. So it's going to take more than one political cycle to get these things done, but they're important public health policies, and I'm, you know, hopeful that they'll continue to advance. You talked about this issue of people who are already addicted. So if I'm a 45-year-old menthol cigarette user, pack-a-day user, and I started, say, when I was 18, when it was legal at the time, what do you say to me if I say to you, you're about to ban this thing that you've acknowledged I'm addicted to? I don't know the exact policy rationale that went into the decisions that the administration made, but that might be one of the reasons why they, they're leaving the menthol and the mint-flavored e-cigarette products on the market to provide a viable alternative, a non-combustible alternative to currently addicted adult smokers who are addicted to nicotine and are getting it through a combustible product. The problems surface when you can't get a currently addicted adult smoker to fully switch and they use the e-cigarette product basically as a bridge to continue smoking. They'll use the e-cigarette during the day and then they'll come home at night and smoke a combustible cigarette. That doesn't improve their health. Or, or you create a black market for menthols. This is going to have to be followed up with enforcement. Look, we, we also took steps to ban the flavored e-cigarette products and we stepped up enforcement at the same time to try to crack down on the illegal sale of those products. Can you tell me, what does enforcement look like here? Is that just on companies and retailers, or is that also on individuals? I mean, does this become a possession crime? It's not going to be on individuals. It's going to be on um, the supply chain. And so you'll have import alerts stopping this at, at ports of entry. Customs and Border Patrol works with the FDA ports of entry. There'll probably be enforcement as well at, at the retail sites. But, you know, by and large, you know, retailers will, will mostly comply with the law. 
There's obviously been a, a lot of blowback, social media blowback to, to Biden's proposal. And, and part of it has been racial blowback. Black Americans smoke menthols at a much higher rate than do white Americans. And there is this concern that this is basically criminalizing an activity that is more common among black Americans. You say it won't be at the individual level, but won't that ultimately be up to local police departments, local officials? I don't think that that there's going to be criminal sanction associated with uh, the purchase of these products. I'm, I'm hard pressed to believe that that local um, law enforcement is going to criminalize the possession of mentholated cigarettes. Look, these have been targeted. These, these products have been targeted to certain communities for a very long time through marketing practices. And that's part of the reason why you see more use in certain communities versus others. How do, how do you help somebody reconcile this national trend toward legalization of cannabis, including smoked cannabis, and this kind of increased enforcement or, or, or bans on types of tobacco products? Tobacco was within my jurisdiction. Look, there, there are harmful effects associated with uh, smoking cannabis as well. I think we're going to have to take a hard public health look at what the implications are of the legalization of cannabis in various states. But we do we do know very well the unhealthful effects of uh, of tobacco. Congress has created a framework for regulating tobacco products, and FDA is going to imp be implementing that. You know, Congress explicitly banned characterizing flavors in cigarettes. They didn't uh, specifically address menthol. They left it to the agency to address, in part because of some of the more difficult politics around menthol. And they left a loophole for the cigarellos. And so you saw these fruity flavored little cigars come into the market. But Congress's intent clearly was to ban flavors in combustible tobacco products, recognizing that the flavors became a gateway to youth use of those products. Scott, you talked about rulemaking, litigation, et cetera. Uh, Biden administration comes out with its top line statement. The FDA comes out with its top line statement uh, at the end of April. How long until I won't be able to buy a pack of menthols at the corner store? Could be years. If you look at the average rulemaking, the average rulemaking is over two years, and this is going to be a complicated rule that's going to be subject to litigation. So, you know, I think that this is going to take uh, at least the first term of the administration. It might take a couple of political cycles to fully get this in place. I felt when we announced the plan that we, we put in place or we, we put forward in 2017 to regulate nicotine and combustible cigarettes to render them minimally non-addictive, and at the same time, um, seek to ban the flavors in, in the combustible tobacco products, I thought that there was some inevitability to that policy once we announced it. Once we crossed the threshold and announced that policy, especially in a Republican administration, I was pretty confident that uh, eventually it would get put in place. And I'm, I'm you know happy to see the Biden administration taking it forward. The Biden administration taking the menthols part forward. Do you expect that they're also going to take forward this limiting of nicotine in individual cigarettes? I do. It, why? Why are you confident in that? This was a big part of uh, FDA's public health agenda. I'm hearing that they're going to continue to move that forward. Congress gave the FDA explicit authority to set a product standard and regulate nicotine uh, in combustible cigarettes. It, what Congress explicitly said was that the FDA couldn't ban nicotine in cigarettes, but it left open authority to regulate the levels in the cigarettes. And you know, we explicitly put nicotine at the center of our regulatory efforts when I was at FDA. If you Think about tobacco products. It's not the nicotine that causes all the harmful effects of the use of tobacco products. It's the products of combustion. And if you can help currently addicted adult smokers come off of combustible cigarettes, and for those who still want to enjoy satisfying levels of nicotine, get them through non-combustible alternatives, you can have a substantial impact on public health. I think recognizing the sort of public health dimension here and the positive impact, if you can dramatically lower addiction rates to combustible tobacco products, 
I think that the implications of this from a public health standpoint is so seductive that, that the administration is going to take it forward. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. Welcome back. What we're watching today are a pair of developing COVID-19 vaccine stories. First, Moderna said that a booster of its shot shows promising immune response against the South Africa and Brazil variants. It also showed increased antibody response to the original virus, known among scientists as the wild version. But as a quick caveat, these were just preliminary results from an ongoing clinical test and not yet peer-reviewed. Second, the Biden administration says it will support a proposal to waive certain patent protections for COVID-19 vaccines, including the ones developed by Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Now, to call its decision controversial would be an understatement. For proponents, the reason to do this, to grant this waiver, is obvious. It's about saving lives. Just look at what's happening in India, which yesterday reported nearly 4,000 COVID deaths. If you remove the patents, more groups can make the vaccines, thus possibly accelerating distribution, possibly at a lower cost. Opponents, though, argue this could have terrible, unintended consequences. For example, it could de-incentivize U.S. drug companies to develop the next much-needed vaccine, including if one is eventually needed for the variants. Plus, they argue this move is unlikely to save that many lives, given the complications in sourcing the right ingredients and in safely standing up complex manufacturing processes. In short, expect some very tense negotiations. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Alex Sugiara. If you haven't yet left us a review, please do so and be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast. Have a great national Crepe Suzette Day. We'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.